My friends, before we get into God's word, let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, your word heard, and your word lived. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, today's reading from Genesis is one of the most dramatic reveals in all of Scripture. Uh, the long-lost uh, brother Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, uh, now rules over those who enslaved him and holds the fate of his brothers in his hands. It's an incredible moment. Uh, there are tears, there are, there's forgiveness. As Joseph explains to his brothers that although they perpetrated evil, God brought that evil to goodness and used it to save his family from starvation, save them from death. And yet, it's difficult to enjoy this happy ending because we know that that isn't the end. Joseph's family is relocated to Egypt, and they do live in peace, and they prosper with the blessing of Pharaoh, who's so grateful for everything that Joseph has done for the kingdom. But we know that eventually there comes a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph, doesn't look on Joseph's family with kindness, and enslaves the whole nation of Israel for 400 years. You see, the story of the nation of Israel, the people of God, is so full of highs and lows, it's a story of God's love and grace that sometimes is accepted, but often rejected. God saves the people of Israel from slavery, and then he opens the sea for them, and he protects them with a cloud and with fire, all because God loves them. They are his people. And as they meet at the mountain of God, they promise to love and worship God alone. They promise to turn their hearts to him, to love them, and to be faithful to him. <clears throat> and immediately after that promise, they break it, and they build a golden calf. But God loves them and is faithful to them. God takes this nation of slaves and establishes a kingdom for them, the nation of Israel as a home for them. And they, pro and they promise to love and worship God alone. And yet after they make that promise again, they break it, and they build a golden calf. And they say to themselves, you know what? We've built this calf. We can look out for ourselves. We have technology. We have good government. We have an effective military. We have alliances and trade agreements. We don't need this desert God. He asks for our hearts. He asks for exclusive love and devotion, commitment through thick and thin. And that's just too much. That's too exclusive, too demanding, too religious. No, this calf will do. We will develop ceremony and tradition, a polite religion that plays nice with other religions. We will be okay. Thank you. And so they rejected God. You see, when God asks for your heart, he's asking for exclusive faithfulness, loving devotion. And that's what he asked of Israel. But all they gave him was pomp and circumstance, ceremonial purity and liturgical traditions, but they withheld their hearts. And so one day God said, well, you want a life without me? Then that's what you're going to have. And then greater nations came against Israel and enslaved them once again. And in despair, they called out to their desert guard, God, the one who had asked for their hearts. But they still withheld them. And all they did was puff up their ceremony and their traditions, more purity laws, more liturgies and traditions. I mean, you'd think by now God would have abandoned them, would have given up on them. But he didn't. God didn't forget them. God reminded his people that all he ever wanted was their heart. And so he sent them 
uh, word, his word through the prophets. And then uh, they killed those prophets. You know, one time he sent them the prophet Ezekiel. And so this prophet saw uh, his people destroyed by invading armies. And he saw how his people were trying to make sense of why they were going through such difficult times, even though they were doing all the ceremonies and keeping all the traditions. But they weren't understanding that God wanted their heart. Loving faithfulness, not simply going through the motions without a living relationship with him. So Ezekiel spoke God's promise to them. God's word through the prophet Ezekiel was this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And God was true to his word. He stopped sending them prophets. And instead, God himself came. Jesus was born. And he reminded the people of what they forgot. That God wanted faithfulness of the heart, of exclusive love and worship. The traditions and liturgies, the purity laws and cleansings didn't amount to anything if they didn't offer their hearts to God. Verse 10 of our gospel reading says this. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. In other words, following the rules we set up for ourselves won't help if our hearts remain unchanged. Your mouth reveals the condition of your heart. Out of the heart is born all kinds of evil, of deceit. I mean, that's what needs changing. That's what needs healing. That's what needs transforming. I mean, it's out of the heart that we gossip, that we murmur and complain against our family and our friends. It's out of the heart that systems of injustice persist in our social and political institutions. It's out of our heart that we create and nurture doubt, whether it's real or feigned, in order to live how we want and to not take God seriously. Our hearts need changing. Our hearts need to love God. We need to love Jesus. And when we love Jesus, we will love like Jesus. We will draw closer to God in prayer and studying the Bible and worship. And we will actively rise against the evil and injustice that Jesus opposed. We will love those that Jesus died to save. And I'll be honest with you, I, I think we hate this. We a thousand times prefer a polite religion, a religion that fits nicely in our lives and our community that doesn't ask more of me than what I'm comfortable giving. We resist giving our hearts to God because to do that would mean we no longer be in control of our lives. God would be in control of our lives. And that's too inconvenient. And yet that's what it means to love, right? If you're in love, you're no longer in control. Uh, you're no longer the center of your universe. Someone else is at the center of your life. And so to give your heart is to be in love with God. And that takes too much. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been in love? I mean, when you're in love, uh, you lose so much of your control. You, you focus on the other. Uh, you give them your time, your exclusive attention. I mean, you go above and beyond in your personal life. I mean, when you're dating someone and you're in love and you invite that person over, man, your place has never been so tidy and clean. 
right? You take inventory of your life. Uh, what do I need to change? Uh, where do I need to grow? Because I want this person in my life. That's what it might look like. That's what it looks like to be in love with God. But we don't want that. No, being in love with God is too inconvenient. So we choose not to give over our hearts. Instead of living, uh, having a living faith, we settle for polite piety. We don't hand over our hearts. But that's the danger. As C.S. Lewis once wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love God is to be vulnerable to him. Once you say, God, I love you and I want to follow you, what do you want of me? Your life will change. And you will have to give some things up. I mean, there's some things that you know you should give up. And so, though it will hurt, you're going to agree with God and work to give those things up. But then God will ask you to give up things you don't want to give up. And your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. But it has to happen because our heart needs healing. And the pain you feel is, is the surgeon's hand that removes what needs removing, even if it hurts, in order for you to heal and to grow. The healing is God's mercy, his removing our hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh. As I was reflecting on this week's readings, I remembered a poem by T.S. Eliot. And I want you to listen to what he wrote. The wounded surgeon plies the steel that questions the distempered part. Beneath the bleeding hands we feel the sharp compassion of the healer's art resolving the enigma of the fever chart. God's healing love can hurt. I mean, in this age of COVID, we've been locked up and life is so truncated and dull. Uh, we're online so much and church often doesn't feel like church. And I know we all want to do whatever it takes to just get things back to normal. But this time will have been completely wasted if we don't ask ourselves, I mean, how is God using this time to transform my heart? Sure, this time really hurts, but am I allowing myself to draw closer to God? Is my heart sensitive to God? Am I sensitive to hearing his voice? Am I even interested in hearing God's voice? Or am I wrapping up my heart, wrapping up carefully with hobbies and little luxuries, avoiding all entanglements, locking it up safe, in the casket or coffin of my selfishness. The poem continues. Our only health is the disease if we obey the dying nurse whose constant care is not to please but remind of our and Adam's curse and that to be restored our sickness must grow worse. 
Adam's curse. The pains in the world and our lives, the reason why our hearts produce such defiling things is because we're trapped by Adam's curse. We're trapped by sin. And that is what Jesus came to heal. You know, COVID and our other sufferings can only be healing hurts if we accept that our heart problem is sin and that we need Jesus. This is the curse from which all other sufferings flow, from wars and political strife, from social injustice in the world and here at home. The fact that the greedy prosper and the poor are forgotten is because our hearts are sick with sin and we need healing. So hear what St. Paul writes. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on them all. Even though we have bound our world and ourselves in sin, God is eager to have mercy on us. He has had mercy on us in Jesus. You see, Jesus is a greater Joseph. (coughs) Excuse me. Joseph was, in the story, Joseph was thrown into a cistern. And he was almost killed, but then instead he was sold into slavery, and later he became the ruler of Egypt, and he saved his family. But Jesus was not spared. Jesus was thrown into the cistern of death and hell for us. And then God raised him from the dead, and his life and love heals, not just a chosen few, but any and all who choose to call on the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, uh, progressive or conservative. As long as you admit your sin and you call on the name of Jesus as Lord, your heart will be transformed. The love of God will enter your life and things will look different. You're going to be different. But you'll be more and more like Jesus. And that's the best way to be. That's the promise. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, uh, Lord, uh, we recognize and confess that um, often we hide our hearts from you and we ignore you and we fill our lives with all kinds of busyness and work and hobbies and uh, we avoid your voice. But God, right now, we want to hear from you. We want to have your love in our life, not just so that we can enjoy it ourselves, but to share it with others. And so, God, we're sorry for how we uh, behave in ways that ignore you. And we ask you that uh, you forgive us and that you empower us to love each other as you would have us love. We want to hear you, God. We want to follow you. We pray that you transform our lives. You transform our hearts and our minds for our great good and your greater glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.